Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Oh, it's the smell of a tent that you haven't used in two years, and it's got a little bit of mildew whiff, but it's comforting. Allie Ward, I'm back with an episode of Ologies. I don't even want an intro. I don't want to even be talking right now. I just want you to hear the interview. I want you to hear all about the majesty of the world's most beloved rat-faced trash goblin cuddlebugs who lug around skin sacks full of infants. So here's the briefest of introductions. Okay, this ologist got their PhD studying members of the genus Didelphus, most specifically the Virginia possum. Opossum? North America's only native marsupial, the only one in North America. They got their bachelor's in biology from Bowdoin College, a master's and a PhD from the University of Michigan. They're also studying STEM education and how college professors can make learning easier during a freaking pandemic. They're so passionate about SciComm and education and possums or opossums. We get into it. But first, we're going to thank everyone at patreon.com slash ologies for submitting such intensely perfect questions for this episode and for supporting the podcast since before we were even a podcast. Thanks to everyone who leaves reviews and rates the show like this squirming, hairless pink review just days old left by Swinging Pro who wrote in, this podcast is just a bunch of dorks getting stupidly excited about learning, and I love it so much. Oh, Swing Pro, you had me there for a sec, but you're one of us. We love you back. If you left a review this week, I read it straight up, so thank you. And congrats to Brainy Blonde and Tiger 2040 for your science student journeys. I read those. Okay, let's put some fuzzy munchkins in your hearts. Let's get into it. I heard of this ologist's work this past Friday. I DM'd her the all-caps message, Will you talk to me about possums? What is your schedule like? I'm excited, Dr. Walsh. Shameless begging and a quick response. We chatted just this past Saturday morning all about this not-at-all rodent creature and their general vibe, dramatic death throes from tails to teeth to tiny hands and numbered nipples, orphaned babies, pet possibilities, the best possum jokes, the worst ones, rabies, tick vacuums, myths, flimflam, the rise of the memes, and more with nationally recognized mammologist, biology educator, environmental scientist, researcher, and acclaimed opossumologist, Dr. Lisa Walsh. Oh, let's do it.
Dr. Walsh. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to talk about possums. You have no idea. Maybe you do have an idea because you're a possum scientist, so everyone's excited to talk possums, but I'm very excited. That's great. I had dreams all night about this podcast that I was that I had so many questions from listeners that I like couldn't sort through them all, which oh, is... Oh, wow. Well, I mean, dreams all night yeah. that fits with a nocturnal animal. <laughs> I already love her. For, oh, first thing I'll have you do is if you could say your first and last name and your pronouns. Sure. I am Lisa Walsh. Pronouns she, her, hers. Perfect. And okay, help me figure out what ology this is. Would it be Dedelmimorphiology? No. <sighs> Possibly. I guess it depends on how scientific you want it to be and like okay. how narrow do you want it to be? Because it could be like metatherology for all marsupials, didelphomorphology, or this morning my husband suggested opossumology. And I think that that rolls off the tongue better than the more scientific, <laughs> <laughs> the more scientific names. You know, I did look around and I did see that more people were using possumology than didelphomorphiology. So it might be that. But the first question is opossum versus possum. Please set the record straight. We're so confused. I know. I don't know if Americans decided that using the O sounded hokey or... You know, back when there was more anti-Irish sentiment, they just didn't want—they didn't want to say opossum. But it comes from an American Indian Algonquin word apossum, where it means white animal. And John Smith, being the colonizer that he was, just decided to steal the name and mm. anglicize it, and. Mm. This was actually the first marsupial that Europeans had encountered. I've read that the Spanish actually came across an opossum with Christopher Columbus, and they brought it back to Spain. And they're like, oh, my gosh, she's carrying her young in the pouch. Mm -hmm. And eventually, the British uh, stole the name from the American Indians and called it opossum. And then when... Another group of colonizers came across more marsupials in Australia. They said, well, these look very similar. They have similar traits. Oh. They also live in trees. Let's call them by the same name. Mm. And at some point, they decided we are going to confuse people. So let's call them possum instead of opossum. But <laughs> I think that ended up confusing people more. Okay. That makes so much sense. And how did marsupials get to North America? They have a very long and confusing evolutionary history. They've been popping up all over. That's because they've been around for uh, over 200 million years. Wow, my God. Yeah. Uh, 200 million years. So, you know, this, this goes back to how well do you know your continents and the history of continents. So Pan Pangea to Laurasia and uh, Gondwana, and I, I am not a paleontologist, so I'm not great at it, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I should be admitting that. But we, we actually think that they evolved and emerged first in land that was to become North America and Europe, and 
at some point, North America and South America were together. And the group that would survive made it to South America. The group, once the continent separated, that were in North America and Europe died out. Mm -hmm. And the South American uh, group wandered through what's to become Antarctica, made it to Australasia, and really just exploded. They did great there. <laughs> the ones that were stuck in South America, eh, they were okay. Mm. There's a few groups that are there. But then about two million years ago, the two American continents came back together and there was a land bridge. And so that's how they made it into North America. But it's funny, you read the the history of this American interchange, they call it, where a bunch of different groups of North American animals went, went south, South American animals went north. So armadillo went north, great oh. sloths went north. <laughs> and the possum was like, you know, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait. Oh. I'm going to wait. So we don't think they were one of the last animals to arrive in North America, actually, during that interchange. So they were just taking their their sweet time, Oh, which, you know, I can appreciate. It's what they do, right? They're not very fast critters, from what I understand. They're not. But man, when they want to book it, they can. You do not expect them to move fast. So when they do... It, it maybe it seems a lot faster than it is. I've seen a manatee book it. Same thing. You're like, really? Yeah. You're you're supposed to be slow. So when they move fast, it's still relative, but it's just so surprising. I needed footage of this, and I needed it bad. So down the opossum hole, I merrily fell, watching videos of these ash-colored fuzz loaves just loping about sports fields and trail cams. Look, what is that strange animal running across the lawn? Why, it's an opossum. And yes, they can scurry with the best of them, topping out at four miles an hour, which you think sounds slow, but that's a 15-minute mile, and Michael Phelps can only swim six miles per hour. Manatees? When they want to get the fuck away from you, they can jet 20 miles an hour. That's more than three times faster than an Olympic gold medalist. So next time you're getting on the freeway, you hit 20 MPH. Just think of a manatee drag racing you and winning a giant underwater yam with a beaver tail leaving you in the dust. Then you're like, oh my gosh, that was actually really fast. And now what about you and your evolution and migration? How did you come to be a very, in my mind, celebrated opossum researcher? I started my undergraduate career convinced I was going to be a marine biologist. Mm. And I was doing research on this single-celled organism, a dinoflagellate that lives symbiotically inside coral. The problem is they have not one but two cell walls. And so if you're trying to do anything in terms of genetics, just to get at the DNA, it took me about two months to figure out how to <sighs> shear open their cell walls and get at their DNA. And I was just so frustrated sitting in the lab looking at the chiogen mm -hmm. DNA. Kit. That's what it's called. It's called DNEZ. 
I was like, this is anything oh but easy. I was reading the manual <laughs> and they said, you know, you want this this many grams if it's a mouse tail. You want this many grams if it's mouse blood. I guess it would be liters, this many milliliters if it's mouse blood. And I was just like, mice, mammals. Those sound so much easier to ask questions about. <gasps> First of all, because you can mm -hmm. see them. So the dinoflagellate, we didn't even know how they reproduced. So I was like, oh, oh, I, I can make a bunch of guesses. But if you don't even know the natural history, you can't. I guess I couldn't ask the questions I wanted to at the time. Mm -hmm. So I found a, a wonderful advisor at the University of Michigan, Priscilla Tucker. She works on mice. I was like, oh, mice. Great. She mm -hmm. said, well, what do you want to research? I said, well, I really want to just ask questions about, I guess in my mind, I was like, oh, beavers, they went through this huge population die-off because we were hunting them too much, I guess trapping them too much. So her advisor, Dr. Tucker, said, you got to talk to this mammologist, Phil Myers. Oh, he's got all the steamy hot goss on just a bunch of critters that are not microscopic. And he said, you know, the opossum is doing some weird stuff. It is, <laughs> it's just keep, it keeps trekking further and further north. And hmm. we don't know genetically what, that range expansion north looks like. And so I said, okay, I will look at that for my master's, mm -hmm. which translates into collecting a bunch of roadkill over an entire <gasps> summer. I love this woman. <laughs> because I, so I tried trapping opossums, which is how I know how fast they are, because the only, <laughs> the only possum I managed to trap, just, he was a little guy. He had probably just left mom. Uh, and he just booked it as soon as he got out of the trap. He was like the fastest little opossum torpedo you've ever seen. Oh. And I mostly caught raccoons. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so funny to think of bycatch. Yeah. Oh, in a mammal it, was, it was mostly bycatch. I was terrified of catching a skunk. I luckily <laughs> never did. And I, I said, you know, I don't think I'm not going to get enough of a sample of opossums if if I'm just doing this. And I said, you know, you know what's easy to get? Roadkill. So mm -hmm. I drove around Ohio <laughs> and Michigan all that summer picking up roadkill. Did you pick up the whole meat pancake or did you just take a vial of what you needed? So there are people who do that. And I have done mm -hmm. that, but I was mostly just looking for their ears. It's really oh. nice, fleshy and it's easy to get as long as a scavenger hasn't run off with the skull. And they've done that. They will take the entire head. And so mm -hmm. uh, if, the, if there was no head, I would try taking other stuff. But luckily, I was not taking the whole thing. My car would have been very fragrant if I had. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever get stopped or questioned at all while you were snipping ears off of roadkill? That's a great question. I noticed this interesting dynamic, which I think I would do the same if I saw a strange woman parking her car and walking to this dead thing. Women would just stand inside their house and watch me. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm going to monitor her, make sure she's not 
do anything on my property. But the men would stop behind me, stop their cars, say, are you okay? Can I, can I get you anything? And I was like, I'm wearing a fluorescent vest with, with <laughs> bright blue lab gloves. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And my favorite story is there was this man who had clearly just finished his work day at a garage. So he was full in a mechanic suit. And I think he was like, oh my gosh, it is a woman in distress. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> and he's like, can I help you? And I was like, I, and this possum was literally on the double yellow line. It was smack oh. in the middle of the road. It was, oh God. It, it was a slow country road. And I was just like, I know. He he offered to like carry it. And I was like, I'm trying to scrape it off the road so that I'm not sampling it in the road. I don't want to become mm-hmm. double roadkill, which was the really interesting thing driving around. So if you start looking for roadkill, you will find it. And there were a lot of double roadkills with possums because they actually, I mean, as scavengers, they will go eat the roadkill. So I found opossums with porcupines up in northern Michigan, and I found them multiple times with raccoons, which is really a who's eating who question. Yes. That was my next question is who, yeah, I mean, at least they they died doing what they loved, but yeah, who was who was scavenging who? That's a great question. That's exactly. like anyone out there needs to get a PhD in roadkill. Just an aside, I do have a future episode lined up about road ecology, and I will ask this very important question. Also, what did Dr. Walsh find from all the sampling? Why are these sweet backyard beasts lumbering toward the Northern Territories? Well, she says the first thing you do with population genetics is try to figure out how many populations are there and who belongs to which. And near the Western Great Lakes, there were two distinct opossum populations, a lower Michigan and Ohio posse, and a Wisconsin and upper Michigan one, which, I'm sorry, upper Michigan, how are you not your own state? You're a disembodied landmass who skirted in as Michigan's plus one. I'm always confused by you, but you're beautiful. Anyway, some interesting crossovers in these two groups, but why? And when I spoke to a fur trapper in I believe he was in upper in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. He said, you know, a little while ago, we had a really bad drought and we had to have hay bales brought in from elsewhere in Michigan. And opossums will occasionally den in, I guess, loose hay bales. And he thought that they... They got transferred from one part of Michigan to another because of this. So that's a good theory. If you search for it online, I believe there is a picture of an opossum stuck in a hay bale. I would let them sleep in my linen closet. I love them so much. (laughs) They're so cute. They're so wonderful. They would really like your linen closet. I feel like they would love it. Um, And so they will sometimes hitch rides, perhaps. Yeah, sometimes hitch rides. What I... What I looked at then was you can look at how diverse the populations are using the genetics collected. And I compared it to winter climate data across the region I had sampled. And I also compared it to uh, human density. So basically Mm -hmm. a measurement of how urban the area was and agricultural density. So how, how much farmland, how many farms were around. Older 
bigger populations will be more diverse. And what I found by proxy is that the older populations were where there was less days of snow on the ground. So it wasn't actually about temperature. It was about days of snow on the ground. So if you didn't know, Noah has that data. I I did not know that until I set out to ask this question. Just a side note. So NOAA is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It is not some rando named NOAA. Although curiosity never really fails to get the better of me. And yes, I did go on LinkedIn to type in NOAA plus NOAA in the search bar. And there are so many NOAAs working at NOAA. And that pleases me. Anyway, possums don't like ground snow. Why such divas? Just like you or I, they wouldn't want to go walking outside in deep snow because essentially oh. their their paws are like our feet. So we, mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some people out there who do that, but I would not want to walk barefoot on the snow. Their paws are so cute and pink and fleshy. And actually, let's start with the pink adorable snoot. Yes. What? Okay, they got a long snoot and one million teeth. Is that correct scientifically? <laughs> they They do have 50 teeth. Yeah, so they have they have a lot of teeth. So some people say that they have the most teeth in the mammal kingdom. That is that is not true. There there are mm-hmm. others out there. I believe there's some armadillos out there with more teeth. I did I did the research a while ago and then I forgot it. She is correct. There are seventy four teeth in the mouth of the giant armadillo, the most of any mammal. But what about the animal with the most teeth on Earth? A terrifying array exists of jagged, shredding mouth knives, numbering 25,000. Who's got them? Who's got all those teeth? Snails. Just snails, which are commonly eaten by opossums, acting as your garden bouncer. And yes, opossums have 50 teeth, which is still roughly 50% more than our 32. Yeah, they have a lot of teeth. The teeth allow them to eat whatever they want, Opossums really need a lot of calcium, and so the teeth help them with breaking down little mice bones, bird bones, so that they can get all the calcium that they need. Why do they need so much calcium? Is it to make more teeth? <laughs> it might be. I don't know if we know the why. I We do know what happens if they don't get enough calcium, so it hasn't been scientifically reported for wild opossums, but... For some orphaned opossums, if they're brought into this rehab center and they aren't fed a diet high enough in calcium, they develop metabolic bone disease, which is kind of like rickets for opossums, and and then they become non-releasable. There's a really cute story. It's cute and sad at the same time from a wildlife rehab center where there was an orphaned opossum, and he loved grapes so much. So as a generalist, they would they would be given basically a, a buffet to eat each day, but he would prioritize eating all the grapes and then he wouldn't be eating enough <laughs> protein when he was <laughs> when he was little. And so he did end up developing metabolic bone disease. <laughs> so I just I think it's so funny that he loved grapes so much that he ate himself sick. Oh. But he was great. So he was deemed non-releasable and Steve the opossum uh, became an education opossum. So that's, Aww. I guess that's the, that's the one silver lining if they do develop opossum rickets. 
Steve was the best. Freaking Steve. What kind of sense of smell do they have? What kind of eyesight do they have? Walk me through anatomy for anyone who has not gotten to be close to an opossum. Yeah, their eyesight is not good. It's probably a big reason why a lot of people who have encountered opossums, they say the opossum didn't really react to me or they have a story about their dog running after the opossum and the opossum not being able to respond uh, quick enough. So yeah, they, I mean, I've, I saw an old grizzled guy just walking through my parents' backyard a few summers ago and he just did not see me at all. But they have a really, really good sense of smell. Oh, that's helpful probably for finding roadkill and eggs and bones, right? Yeah, they'll eat pretty much everything. I know that they've been lauded as, I think, if, as you've said, tick vacuums. How many ticks do they really eat? There was a recent publication out where they looked at the stomach contents of wild opossums and they did not come across ticks. And so what that suggests is this older publication where they put larval ticks on captive opossums and saw how many had a full blood meal and fell off the opossum. They said, that's mm -hmm. not necessarily the best way to determine how many ticks an opossum eats. So considering they eat everything and that the researchers with the captive opossums did find evidence of ticks in the feces, they do eat ticks. Mm -hmm. I They're not going out of their way to eat ticks. Um, like Steve mm. went out of his way to eat grapes. <laughs> at, least, at least right now there's no evidence of that. Uh, okay. But... I mean, there there's so many great questions remaining on opossums that I'm hoping there is a future grad student out there who's going to really figure out exactly what impact opossums will have on ticks and Lyme disease. So I think that's that's the next great <laughs> research question with opossums. <laughs> I'm about to quit my life and just go back to school to study them. So who knows? Maybe me. Do other species of opossums have the cute, tiny, little round ears also? Yeah. So the Virginia opossum, Dildelphus virginiana, is one of about six to eight Dildelphus species, and they all look very similar, so much so that sometimes they get misidentified, especially in areas in Central America where they overlap. Unfortunately, sometimes the only way to really determine that is if you have their skull. So if you see a live animal, uh, it's going to be pretty hard to mm -hmm. determine what species it is. Yeah, you need x-ray vision. Yes, exactly. Oh. oh. And do those little cute ears serve an evolutionary purpose? I I think it it would help with with hearing and it would help with thermoregulation. Most of their evolutionary history was in the neotropics and so the bigger ears would help them dissipate heat faster. So that's why like jackrabbits in, in deserts, you're going to see those have huge ears, right? So similar thing, but wet, warm environment instead of a hot, arid environment for the opossums in the neotropics. Yeah, that makes more sense. I think of them in colder climates, but yes, if they were in the neotropics and needed to cool off, that would make tons of sense. Is that similar as to why they have a big pink naked rat tail? So they are arboreal, meaning they 
spend a lot of time in, in trees and they use that tail for balance. So you see a lot of pictures with them wrapping it around trees or branches. And, you know, you want something that's full of friction if you're arboreal. And if that limb is covered in hair, the hair is just going to slough off. There is actually hair on their tail. It's just very fine and hard to see unless you're right up on the tail. Is it just like peach fuzz kind of? Or is it wiry? Um, It's like wiry peach fuzz. That's hot. But it, it's, <laughs> it is more fine than the like beautiful hair that their body is covered in. Oh, and they're little cute claws and hands and feet. Those are also bare so that they can scramble up trees? Um, yeah. I mean, same thing with with our hands and feet. I mean, evolutionarily for a while, we were in the trees as well. So same thing. We, we want grip. So we want f- fingerprints that add to the grip. That That's kind of why you see, I guess going back to the tail, why you see their tail is kind of scaly. It adds mm-hmm. to the grip. I looked into this, and opossums kind of have fingerprints. According to the 1969 scientific paper titled Studies in Dermatoglyphs by Dr. Sardul Singh, opossums have friction ridges and dermal grooves, and they're not the only marsupials who do. So koalas' fingerprints are similar enough to humans that the adage is it could stump Australian detectives. But you're going to have to wait until I do a ridgeology episode in the future, which is a thing. Also, I don't know how much beer Australian detectives drink. But either way, marsupials, got to hand it to them. And like us, possums have an opposable toe. Ooh. Yeah. So That's huge. Yeah. You look in terms of evolution— Primates and opossums, trees, we love them. Love them. Got to do some scrambling. Yeah. And, okay, let's talk the baby makers. (laughs) The nipples in a ring. How many babies can they fit in that pouch? Mm. Do they eat the babies? What's going on? Oh, do they eat the babies? Uh, Tasmanian devils apparently eat a number of their own babies, just like gummy bears. And so I don't know if if opossums do that. Well, so that's, I guess, if we want to be really morbid, that is uh, an evolutionary adaptation for marsupials where their gestation time is so short. 13 days. 13 days in the hopper. And they're out, emerging pink and squirmy and the size of a bee. After less than two weeks of gestation, I have had contact lenses in my body for longer. I've probably had McNuggets in my body for longer. Let's be honest. But Mama Possum gets knocked up, and less than a fortnight later, she's like, hit the door, squirmy worms, gonna see you on the other side of my vagina. It actually fits within her estrus cycle. So basically, your monthly cycle, it it fits in. So she gets pregnant and has those babies within the month or whatever Mm -hmm. her cycle is. And if it was not a good litter, good in terms of number, or if she is really stressed and is not going to be able to eat the nutrients she needs to survive and also nurse her young, 
we think she can just stop the milk supply, say, okay, I want a do-over, which Mm. would then be why she would eat her young. Basically, she can abort that litter and then start over. Reproductive choice happens in nature all the time. And the odds are not always ever in their favor. Only one in 10 opossums actually survive to reproductive age, as things are pretty heated straight out of the gate. And by gate, once again, I mean a vagina. And how many nipples do opossums have? Typically 13, but there have been reports from 9 to 17. Oh, so Many. Yeah. Is there usually one in the middle, like a target, like a bullseye? For opossums, it's like a horseshoe. So one's in the middle, but at the top. But there are marsupials with pouches where it is like a circle of nipples and then one in the middle. I just loved the idea that that's kind of like a disco dance circle (laughs) where one person's just really having a spotlight or that's like a seat of honor. Nursing in the middle. Yeah. How long are they nursing for? And are the nipples in the pouch? The nipples are in the pouch for the Virginia opossum. Mm -hmm. They will nurse. They have to be attached to mom for 50 days. So it it is a bit uh, like a royal rumble to get to a teat. Let's get ready to rumble! Because sometimes mom will have, I've read up to, 2022 joeys but then she only has let's say she's the average she only has 13 teeth so the first 13 that make it and attach and start nursing are the 13 that will survive Uh, and they will stay attached for 50 days and be fully weaned around 100 days and then it's back time it's back time starting around 50 days I think it's just an extension of her pouch. She's like, okay, come on. Come on, guys. I'm mama bus. (laughs) Um, I have so many questions from listeners. Literally hundreds. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. Ologites don't fuck around. I will not make you answer them all, but we have sorted them into some categories. Can I do a lightning round and we'll just see how many we can answer? Ooh, Yes. Okay, before we do, we're going to blast some cash at Worthy Causes. Each episode, we donate to a charity of the ologist choosing. And this week, it's going to two, actually. The Opossum Society, US.org, which was formed by a group of concerned citizens interested in rescuing orphaned and injured opossums. They have a network of volunteers that rehabilitate possums for return to the environment. There's more info at opossumsocietyus.org. And then a second donation was made in Dr. Lisa Walsh's name in memory of her dear youngest aunt who passed away from polycystic kidney disease, which for more info on that, you can listen to the recent nephrology episode where we talk about it. So we made a donation to kidneyfund.org in her memory. And Lisa's aunt was herself a lover of opossums, she told me. And she once saw an opossum take a running jump onto a skunk which is a magical thing to have witnessed. So those donations were made possible by sponsors of the show. 
This podcast and my life is brought to you by Squarespace. Do you know that I didn't have a website for forever because I was putting it off because I was scared? And then I heard another podcast talk about Squarespace. I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. I had a website up that day. They have beautiful templates. They host. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Look at me. Even I did it. You can sell products. You can sell your time. They have this guided design system. It's called Squarespace Blueprint. You can select from a layout. There are styling options. You can get your website discovered with these integrated, optimized SEO tools so people find you when they Google. They also have easy-to-use payment tools, so checkout, very easy for customers, which is what you want. There's also Squarespace AI, which can help you explain what your site is about. You can choose your tone. Whether you're a scientist who wants to share your work with the world, whether you are starting up a business selling tiny paintings of tiny books, or a choreographer selling dance classes, head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I recommend it to all my friends even when I'm not recording an ad. Okay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, Therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you're not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash ologies. Oh, Kiwiko. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. You know what's essential to science? 
It's not a lab coat. It's skepticism. You know me. I'm down rabbit holes. I'm looking at charts. I'm checking conflicts of interest at the bottom of published papers. And this is helpful because it means I don't buy stuff I don't need. And if you're one of me that can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from like a mile away and you read labels like it's your job, congrats. You're a skeptic. One brand of vitamins that is literally made for us is called Ritual. It's a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. They have clinically backed essential for women 18 plus. It has high quality, traceable ingredients. They're in clean, bioavailable forms. They're also a certified B Corp, female founded. Just today, one of my powerhouse friends was like, "Ah, found out I'm vitamin D deficient. I was like, yo, ritual, dude. When I forget my multivitamins, there's much less pep in my step. I have noticed. They're also very beautiful. They look like tiny lava lamps with little tiny beads in them. There's actually a scientific reason for this, but I got to wrap it up. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Get that D. Okay, shout out to patron and wildlife rehabber Elizabeth A. Gantenbein and Australian possum volunteer Jess. And the first question was all about wee little babies, uh, mentioned by a lot of patrons, like Anna Guzman, who asked, what do I do if I happen to find a pinky baby possum in my yard? As well as first-time question askers Demi Espinoza and Laura Mitten and wildlife enthusiast Danae Dijonet, as well as um, first-time question asker Claire Boudreaux wants to know, what should you do if you find a baby possum on its own? It's happened to them a few times, and it was wonderful, but they're not sure, essentially, should we take it to an animal rehab center? Also, a ton of other people want to know, can you keep opossums as pets? Okay, I will answer the first question. I guess it depends on how large the abandoned joey is. I'm trying to think of the right animal size for it. But basically... What about like an avocado, a cantaloupe? I think like if it's the size, if it's the length of like a banana, it mm-hmm. it's, it's good. It's on its own now. If it's the size of your hand, it's probably in need of being taken to a wildlife rehab center. If it is... Yeah, about the size of an avocado. So if it is, if it doesn't have that long, lush hair that we're used to, if its eyes are closed, uh, it definitely, it needs to be placed in some sort of little blanket and brought to the rehab center because it is probably not able to fully keep itself warm like a normal warm-blooded mammal yet. Okay. So a banana or bigger, it's good to go. And one possum rescue site used the guidance, as big as a mouse, call a rehabber. A rat, let it be. Those ones are kind of like an 18-year-old who's just moved to New York City. You just got to cross your fingers, hope for the best. Now, for those of us who have dreams of waking up and sharing a pillow with a sleepy opossum who loves us back, such as patrons Shane Chandra Mason, Julie Dupree, Sienna DeCosto Pinto, who wrote, there is one lady on YouTube who has a pet possum that she appears to have kidnapped, is having a pet possum problematic, and patron Violent Badger, who asked, would you recommend possums as pets? How can we give them the beautiful life they deserve? In terms of can you keep an opossum? 
If you want to keep an opossum, you should become a certified wildlife rehabilitation person and you will be taking care of possums like Steve where they are deemed non-releasable. Sometimes this is because of metabolic bone disease. Sometimes this is because they imprint on humans and so it wouldn't be safe to release them. I I'm conflicted about keeping them captive. So for me it's really if it is a non-releasable animal, then it should go to someone who knows how to take care of it. As I pointed out, their diet is really complicated and you don't want to be uh, making them more sick and they will make a mess of your house uh, because they want to nest. So that prehensile tail, they will also use to wrap around newspaper or um, like a light blanket or anything that they can grab and bring to what they decide is their den in your house. <laughs> also, not I guess to be the Debbie Downer, in the wild they live about a year and a half. So you would probably have your opossum for maybe four years. Uh, the longest ever recorded, I think, is about eight years. She says opossums simply live fast and die young. Well, they live slowish, but can haul ass when they need to, but they die young. And I know that we all wish that there was this idyllic island we could go to filled with wild opossums who live forever. And newsflash, this heaven exists, almost. Sapelo is a barrier island off the coast of Georgia. It boasts sand dunes and camping, a pre-Civil War plantation mansion I do not want to tour, but a population of opossums that has been there for nearly 10,000 years without any predators. So apparently, Sapelo Island opossums live twice as long as other opossums in nature, and they enjoy high fertility rates all the way into the ripe old age of four. But yes, leave them on the islands, and as much as we love the long-faced, screamy bundles of hair and teeth, the idea of keeping one as a pet is perhaps one that should remain on Fantasy Island. So eh, I think they are best uh, admired, but I think it would be really hard to to have a captive opossum and fall in love with it and then lose it so quickly. Yeah, understood. A few people, Allison Meising, Vanessa Guerra, and Abraham Livingston, all ask questions that I did not know this was a thing. Um, they want to know, well, Allison wants to know, I'm obsessed. My question is, why are they the greatest? They're immune to rattlesnake venom. Is this true? All three asked about their role in venom antidotes. Yeah. So they are immune to rattlesnake venom. I know that there is a grad student at the University of Minnesota looking into it. So she would be a great follow-up. Okay. I looked this up and shout out to venom researcher and now Dr. Danielle Drabeck, who writes on her website, quote, members of the marsupial family Didelphidae are not only resistant to snake venom, but also attack and eat pit vipers with impunity, exhibiting no behavioral precautions while subduing these dangerous snakes. My research, she continues, has revealed that they have evolved a mammalian blood protein, VWF, von Wildbrand factor, which is resistant to coagulation disruption by these and similar venoms, end quote. So they're superheroes, just lurching around your garbage. So what does this mean? Are they going to take over the world? Well, they may help 
thousands of people who are bitten by snakes in remote regions every year who can't afford super expensive antivenom. And a team at San Jose State University in Dr. Claire Kamive's lab is also studying this stuff and looking into synthesizing antivenom from opossum blood proteins. And I just want to high-five their tiny pink witchy little fingers. The opossums, not the scientists. Tess Hebert wants to know, not a question, I just think it's important to bring up possum penis. Do they have weird dongs? I mean, only if you think a bifurcated penis is weird. Touche. Didelphidae, their family, uh, is named two... It's named for two wombs. So in marsupials, the genitalia is doubled. So two uteri, two vaginas, and a bifurcated penis. Wow. There you go. I mean, that makes sense. It's a tool for every job, you know? Yeah. And what's weirder, for female opossums, when they are ready to give birth, they don't want the two vaginas competing. So they form this pseudo-vaginal canal that then closes back up. Another scientist on Twitter called it a space portal vagina, (laughs) where it just like, it appears and then disappears P.S. Just in case you thought they could not get weirder, female opossums, which are called jills, and males, jacks, all have cloacas, which you may remember as the one hole to rule them all from birds and reptiles butts. But yes, a jill's double vag grows a third shoot down which her tiny clawed babies travel. They shed their weird baby talons, they find a nip, and then they don't nurse. They attach. Once the nipple is in a possum mouth, it gets long, swells, and sticks down their gullet. It's down their throat. It's like a feeding tube made of a swollen nip until they're old enough to just bounce and hitch rides surfing on mama's spine. Speaking of hitches, there must be one. To be such vessels of alien mystique, they must have drawbacks. Are they crawling with disease? Rabies, maybe? Patrons Demi Espinoza, Annie C., Fran G., Sydney Bowers, Jackie Wydra, first-time question asker Kate D.L., Carissa Leal, Savannah McGuire, Diana Teeter, and wildlife rehabber Andrea Devlin asked us to address the rabies question. Bree Wilson and many other listeners said, I read somewhere that American opossums are immune to rabies. Is this true? And is that because of body temperature? It is true with an asterisk. And yes, Mm. it is because they have a lower body temperature. It's not easy for them to get rabies. Although there are about five to 10 cases of opossums that have been found with rabies. Um, Most of them in this area of New York where they think the rabies has become aerosolized because of something with the water, like the way that their bodies of water work. And so I think if you're in an area with aerosolized rabies, you have bigger things to worry about than a possum with rabies. Word. So it's important to know if you see an opossum out in the daytime, it is not because they have rabies. Uh, they are nocturnal, but they, they, they do what they want. You know, if they <laughs> are hungry, they're going to go forage. Or I've, I've seen moms moving around um, from den to den. Also, they, they do seem to be more active in the daytime during winter because that's when it's going to be warmest. That's when 
it's going to be most comfortable for them to get around. Maybe the snow's melted or they're just impatient. They want to go eat because it's been a few days since they've eaten. They have a very slow metabolic rate. So if they skip a day of foraging, that would be like not eating a mouse for them. And if the winter is really bad, if the condition is really bad, they they just stay inside. They stay inside their den and they wait it out and they hope for it to get better. They can lose up to 40% of their body mass in the winter. Oh my God. Yeah. Little little skinny little guys, little scrawny little possums. Yeah. So How sad. Extreme weight loss. They could write a book about it. <laughs> Biohacking, intermittent fasting. Yeah. They're on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Becky, the sassy seagrass scientist, had a great question. Wanted to know, where do pouch babies poop? Is it real gross in there? I, I believe that they are doing what they need to do in mom's pouch. Number two. Uh, but mom, as long as she is healthy, she is going to be actively cleaning that pouch. Uh, there's also evidence from other marsupials This is because Australian marsupials get so much more attention, both from the general public, but also from scientists, because, you know, if you're an Australian biologist, why wouldn't you research these marsupials? Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of antimicrobials in the pouch. The Tasmanian devil milk seems to be able to kill MRSA. So there's a lot going on in terms of keeping these babies safe. Uh, that we are are really just now starting to scratch the surface at because in recent years, the question has been microbiomes. And so people are starting to look at the microbiomes of pouches. So if a mom, a possum comes in to a wildlife rehab center, they can basically gauge her health by seeing how clean her pouch is. The pouch is only going to be dirty if she's really not doing well. Same with my house. Let's be perfectly honest. And again, that goes back to if either the resources are really low or if she's not feeling well, energetically, it is not worth her time to keep a litter going because she has Mm -hmm. to spend so much time uh, and energy in terms of not only making the milk, but keeping that pouch clean and safe because all marsupials are born as neonates. They are very underdeveloped. They're not able to thermoregulate for themselves. So it's really up to mom to keep them safe and let them grow inside her pouch. Although I want to point out, about 40% of marsupials don't have pouches. What? Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. What's going on there? So instead, they just have these little uh, flaps of skin and the young just hang off of mom. So they tend to be smaller species. Again, it's a it's a evolutionary question that is not really being looked at because yeah, marsupials are just so understudied, at least in my opinion. I'm not biased mm-hmm. at all, right? Uh, of course not. No. <laughs> but so I think yeah, I think it has something to do with if you're in too humid of an environment, you would become unable to regulate it and keep let's say fungus from growing inside of it. So that's my mm completely naive hypothesis about why some of these species lost the pouch. And now I want to look at pictures of them hanging off of a skin flap. Mm -hmm. It sounds gymnastic in a way. Yeah, It just looks like little jelly beans are growing on her belly. 
<laughs> uh, there are so many people who had questions about feigning their own death. Looking at you, Sarah Moss, Chris Brewer, Sonia Salmonson, M. Case, Anthony Willis, first-time question asker, Chandler Witherington, Sophie Duncan, Sebastian Papineau, Brenna Wing, and Janella Lindauer. Star wanted to know, is there an easy way to tell when a possum is dead versus just playing dead? And should you move them to a safe space if they're playing dead in a dangerous place? Mm. But does their respiratory and heart rate decrease? What's going on there? In order to tell the difference. So this was this was something I was nervous about when I first started collecting roadkill. Because, you know, if it was a really fresh, freshly dead possum, how would I know? Most likely if they are dead, if they are freshly dead, like if you can't tell, uh, there will probably be blood. Or the other way to tell is if they don't smell, then they are dead. Really? If they have feigned death, most likely they have excreted their anal glands because they are trying to convince this predator that has been running after them. A, I'm no longer running, so I'm no longer prey. But also B, look at how gross and stinky I am. You don't want to eat me. Does it work? It, it, I mean, it seems to work at least. We only really know about how well it works for dog attacks. And it tends to work, right? The, especially because dogs just want to chase after things that are running. And then they're like, oh, you're not fun anymore. In terms of not working, it wouldn't work for birds of prey because they're not going to have a sense of smell. And they are actually going after the possum to to eat it. And apparently younger possums are not as quick at feigning death. So they would be grabbed by the bird of prey, which are the size possums that these birds would typically be going after anyway. Okay, remember, 90% of possums eat shit and go to heaven before they even hit puberty. Their only defense mechanisms are scrambling up a fence, opening their mouths as if they would bite you, but they typically don't, or dramatically freezing, drooling, and shitting themselves. Uh, the issue is, if you touch it, it will prolong how how long they stay dead, stay feigning death. Uh, <laughs> They are not actually rising from the dead when they <laughs> recover from this. Uh, but brain activity, heart rate, it's not its not changing. So it's similar to fainting for us uh, where, you know, sometimes it'll take us a little bit to recover. Maybe possums take a little longer. I've seen a video where someone uh, forced the possum to, to feign death and, they, and then they handled it. Please don't do that. Don't do that yeah. to wildlife. They sound like just very good lesbians in a way. Yes. If they're able to convince people. Can we talk a little bit about their screaming capabilities? We had a few people ask. Such as Janella Lindauer, Alec Grundeman, Savannah Holloman, and... For example, Nico Price wants to know if there are any cultures with awesome lore surrounding these adorable, drooling, hissing, screamy boys. Good name for them, but um, is there screaming? Are they hissing? Are they screaming? It's typically hissing. The The babies will have this high-pitched squeak, which is kind of heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for me because I've only heard it 
from a roadkilled mom. So yeah, I guess if you if you ever come ac- across a roadkilled opossum, check for babies and then bring the babies to your local wildlife rehabber. What about lore? I've tried to look for lore and I have not been able to really find much. So that's a that's a great question and if there are any listeners who know of some I would I would love to hear about it. But mostly what I've heard is, you know, the the jokes about uh, how to cook opossums. And eh, eh, I don't want that cookbook. Thanks. People always ask if you hear any jokes about opossums or if you make any jokes about opossums being in the field Mm. a lot. I mostly make the joke that before I give a big presentation – if I'm really scared, I can just play possum and faint in front of the audience. <laughs> right, just channel my channel my study species and faint. Maybe they would go away. <laughs> but my, my stage fright has gotten a little better, so no more playing possum for me. Is it bittersweet at all to be called upon to publicly discuss your study species? so much. Do you enjoy talking about it? I really do enjoy talking about it. Um, I'm passionate about education. And so I think I'm very lucky to have worked on an animal that people recognize and that people want to talk to me about. And that has been gaining internet fame since I started. So I started Mm -hmm. my master's program in 2012. And then the last few years of my PhD, they they were starting to become memes, like popular memes that I would see online. And it was just, it was really kind of surreal to see them gain popularity as I moved forward in my studies. Mm-hmm. RJ Deutsch actually was a listener who wrote in and said, not a real question, but like, why are they so cute and memeable? I wonder what the, what Know Your Meme has to say about the increasing popularity of possums, of opossums. Yeah. I think it helps that they're really resilient and they're around humans a lot, but they're they're nocturnal, so we don't see them a lot. So when we do see them, we take a picture of them. And their defensive stance of, you know, opening their mouth really wide and hissing, it it, it is very compelling. And the cutest part about all those pictures of a Beetlejuice-looking open-mouthed toothy monster is that they're just holding their jaws open, not to gnaw your hand until it's a stringy stump, but just to make you go, oh, I don't leave. You're so ugly. So when did we see ourselves in this animal and begin to fall in love with them on the internet? Well, I asked the website Know Your Meme to dish some chronology, and they delivered. Turns out that in 2018, a Twitter account launched dedicated to possum memes called Screm at Own Ass and the rest is history. I followed it for years. It's also history, including that account, which seems defunct. It breaks my heart. I miss it so much. Because just like the possum, all of us have at one point curled up defensively, unhinged our face, and really just let our ass have it for no reason at all. Screaming at own ass is something I think (laughs) we all feel we could relate to. Exactly. That was one question we got, probably the most common question we got, so many patrons. 
so many, but namely Radar the Cat, Madison Grams, Anna Guzman, Jenna A., and Grace Robichaux. Wanted to know, essentially, why are they so simultaneously ugly and cute? And why can't more people appreciate them? Why do you think, like, Sigwani Dina wants to know, why are they so ugly yet so darn cute? It, those That was verbiage that so many listeners had. But... Yeah, how is it possible that they <laughs> look like a giant rat, but also a teddy bear? Just luck of the draw in terms of where <laughs> evolution led them. So I think that the biggest issue is their naked tail, which hopefully your listeners now know isn't actually naked. And mm-hmm. the shape of their snout. So marsupials have narrow brain cases. And so it's this narrow but long snout, I think, that makes them cute yet weird at the same time. And with the really big eyes and the big ears, you know, we we equate those with things like teddy bears. That's a very good point. Uh, Richard Swar and Lauren want to know, how do I make them be my best friend? Is that something probably wildlife rehabbers would say, (laughs) just admire from afar? Yeah, I would say admire from afar, set up a, I think it's like a $110 at Cabela's, a trail cam. So if you really love opossums and and if you live in an area where you have any backyard, set up a trail cam. So not everyone can do this, but otherwise, you know, start making memes for opossums. Set up a trail cam to see (laughs) who's stopping by your backyard. Yeah, I don't I don't recommend, you know, sitting out food to attract wildlife because you're going to end up with wildlife that you don't want or, you know, wildlife are carriers of diseases sometimes that doesn't mean that we should do anything bad to them but we shouldn't be trying to attract them to where they could then spread it to us or domestic animals also side note you got horsies maybe don't let opossums shack up in your barn because they can be carriers of epm which is equine protozoal myeloencephalitis so you don't want opossums to poo near the horse's food or water I mean, you never want an opossum to poo near anyone's food or water because it's poo. But definitely you don't want it if you have horses. So if you want to be their best friend, honestly, the best way would be to find a wildlife rehab center and see if you can volunteer there. They always need more hands, especially in the spring when all the orphaned babies are brought in. No. Yeah. That's a great idea. I think I just found my new volunteer (laughs) gig. Oh. Yeah. Matt Thompson is curious if you've seen the majesty of the possum lady. This may be the most important video you will ever see. Are you concerned about the mental health of your opossum? Well, you should be. Jet Spelvin, I think. Any Yes. Any thoughts? Do you want to be friends with her? Do you approve? Do you disapprove? I'm all about being weird and being weird with possums. <laughs> and if if her Mystique is helping to propel opossums to to their popularity. Awesome. Awesome possum. Awesome possum. Ugh. Look her up and fall down a wormhole into a universe where a perfectly coiffed older woman who looks like Audrey Hepburn stands in a poorly lit apartment just thumping the bongos to her rescue possums. Oh, it's wonderful. She also very wisely delivers the PSA that possums belong in the wild, unless they are of the Steve variety. So she knows what's up. I would like to be her. Any documentaries or movies get it really right or really wrong? 
Mm, that is a good question. I I do want to say, <laughs> I guess I love Parks and Rec, and they got it right in that <laughs> there would be possums sometimes on golf courses, and mm-hmm. they would be out in the daytime. And unfortunately, they are often vilified because we think that they are going after our pets. That would be Mm. rare. And any animal that is attacked will defend itself. (laughs) So I don't know if the possum in Parks and Rec actually bit the mayor's dog. Am I sure the possum we caught is Fairway Frank? Yes. Am I quite sure? No. So I don't (laughs) think so. That's the one that comes to mind in Mm. terms of possums in the media. Fairway Frank. That's a good thing. Sorry, I just remembered. Fairway Frank. Yes. I just remembered. (laughs) What sucks the most about possums? What sucks the most about your work with possums? Feel free to get negative. um, It can be anything. I mean, so possums are nomadic and they're solitary. And so trying to ask genetic questions doesn't always work because they're not Mm. like picking a habitat and staying where (laughs) they're not staying in one place. They're moving around Mm -hmm. a lot. So the last chapter of my dissertation was like, what does the genetics of the possum look like across temperate North America? Oh, it's a mess. (laughs) It's a mess. So not a great animal to do that research on. I mean, it's interesting because they're such a mess, but it's also bittersweet because there are so many questions that are still unanswered about opossums. I hope that chats like this can can spark curiosity in the next opossum scientist. What about the thing, last question I always ask, what about the thing that you love the most about opossums? Oh, that, that's such a hard question. I get, so I already told the story about Steve. I really, I really like that story. I think that the, the young opossums are just adorable. And I like that there was this fascination with opossums even like a hundred years ago. So are you out in California? Mm-hmm. We are. Yeah. Where apparently we didn't have opossums here until 1893. Right. So people brought them over. Yeah. Yeah. I love that people from Tennessee were like, we're moving out west. Honey, I'm going to miss Tennessee. Let's bring some possums. Yeah. And then at one point, so I, this might have been a different event, but people raising them for fur in California, mm-hmm. they didn't build the pen well enough and the possums broke oh. free. So I, <laughs> I, I, I love the, uh, the relationship between humans and opossums. Sometimes it's not good. Yeah, sometimes they're they're vilified, but when they're appreciated or when they one up the person who was trying to keep them in a pen, I I really like those stories. I've I as a champion for possums, I think celebrating their victories is absolutely worthwhile in human nature. Yeah. So ask smart people 
bumbling questions and celebrate the victory of others. Now, you can hear more about Dr. Lisa Walsh's work on Twitter. She is at Spouts of Facts, and it'll be linked in the show notes alongside links to the charities and the sponsors and tons more at alleyward.com slash ologies slash opossumology. We are friendable on Twitter at ologies or at Allie Ward with one L. Same handles on Instagram. And please trust that our feeds will be flooded with possum memes all week long. It a torrent of them. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you, Aaron Talbert, for adminning the Ologies Podcast Facebook group. Hello to all the Redditors on the Ologies subreddit. Hey. Ologies merch is available at ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Shannon Feltis, Bonnie Dutch, and Susan Hale for helping manage that. Thank you, Susan and Noel Dilworth, for helping behind the scenes with Ologies Biz. Thank you, Emily White of the transcription service, The Wordery, for turning around transcripts so fast, available for free on my website to anyone who could need them or use them. Thank you to Caleb Patton for all the bleeping. Thank you to Kelly Dwyer for a website design. She's available if you need her. She is linked in the show notes. Uh, thanks to Stephen Ray Morris and Zeke Rodriguez-Thomas for working on Smologies. More episodes coming soon. And of course, the human critter who fits all the pieces together, Jared Sleeper, for helping me get these up on time every week, despite juggling a lot lately. Uh, Nick Thorburn wrote the theme music, and he is in a very good band called Islands. If you stick around until the end, you know that I burden and divulge a secret. This week, the secret is that I shot my shot. I reached out to the office of Mr. Dr. Fauci, and he is considering an appearance on Ologies. I'm very nervous. I just immediately began sweating, telling you that. Cross your little opossum fingers, everyone. We'll see what happens. Also, I farted while recording the interview, and I really hope the guest didn't hear, and I had to ask Derek to cut it out. Okay, bye-bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, nanotechnology, meteorology, Opossum makes it sound like he's Irish.